On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Bob Gruen, rock and roll photographer from New York, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast. Pantheon Podcast presents from Hollywood, California, The Devil's Music with Pleasant Gaiman. You are invited to join the Hollywood princess as she explores her lifelong pursuits in the occult, sex, love, and that sinful rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, step into the dark parlor of Pleasant Gaiman as she brings you the devil's music. Hi, I'm Pleasant Gaiman, and welcome to The Devil's Music, a Pantheon podcast. During the 70s, I was one of the first punks in Los Angeles. I worked at the Whiskey A Go Go and had a Xerox fanzine called Lobotomy, which led me to writing a rock and roll gossip column in the LA Weekly which in turn led me to writing for every major rock publication you could think of. I'm really excited to be a part of the Pantheon podcast network of rock and roll shows. Everyone at Pantheon tells spectacular stories about the music we love so much, each one with a different twist. Find them all at pantheonpodcast.com, as well as on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio.com, Pandora, Hell! I just had to say that. Anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what we're doing here, head on over to pantheonpodcast.com and share a show with a friend, or I'll put a spell on you. Kidding. This is Pleasant Gaiman, and you're listening to the Devil's Music Podcast. I have such a wonderful guest on the show today that you guys are not going to believe it. To her, her life is normal. To anyone else, it's an absolutely fantastical, slightly macabre, incredibly amazing fantasy. My guest today is the official tour guide at Hollywood Cemetery in Hollywood Forever Cemetery in Hollywood, California. And she's been seen on Turner Classic Movies, CNN, the Travel Channel. Um, She's been in several magazines. And wait till you hear her story. Please welcome the amazing 
the second mistress of the dark, but also mistress of the daylight amongst the gravestones, um, <laughs> Carrie Bible. Thank you so I, much. And and Bible is your real name, which I could not believe. <laughs> it is. There's a lot of things about my life people cannot believe. But yeah, I was born with the last name Bible. And you know, tell, um, tell, tell everyone what day you were born on, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was actually, believe it or not, I was born on Halloween night. Um, you know, it's funny because over the years, I've had people suggest that I should change my last name, but I've really resisted that because the first thing is it's a very unique name and people remember it. So I've kind of just gone with it, you know, and not, not ever changed it. And then also, I mean, I immediately thought of Carrie, the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually went as Carrie for Halloween one year and people would be like, oh, hey, Carrie. Oh, I get it. You're Carrie. It was so <laughs> funny. And the fake blood my friend dumped on my head. I have pretty pale skin. It stained my skin. So I had like these rays running down my whole body for days. It was such a hot mess. But yeah. Well, yeah, so I was born is the way we like it on here. <laughs> right. So yeah, I was born Halloween night, um, which I know some journalists over the years have questioned that. And I'm like, well, hey, call my mom. She will confirm all details, as as will my dad. So, so how long, um, tell everybody how long you've been working at Hollywood Forever Cemetery. My favorite, my, that, you know, so most people think that Disneyland is the happiest place on earth. That's how I feel about Hollywood Forever. Me too. I've been there since 2002. And um, I always tell my little origin story when I do the tour. When I was a little girl, my mom and dad are very interested in history, particularly Civil War type stuff. And a lot of our summer vacations where we went to battlefields, we went to houses and we went to cemeteries. And I saw a lot of reenactors and different people around America going on these kind of trips. And it brought history to life because I always say that, you know, it's one thing to sit in a classroom and have someone talk to you about history. But when you stand on the soil where that history took place, and especially if you have a pretty wild imagination, which I do, you know, it really brought it to life for me. And as a little girl, I fell in love with classic Hollywood. My gateway drug into it was the universal horror films. So I didn't like Barbie dolls at all. I liked Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff. And those were my yeah, girlhood me heroes. Too, me too, me too. And I can As never it should be with who, all of us. Who was hotter? I can't even tell. Like it's go, it, it varies from minute to minute. <laughs> you know, it's funny. When I was a little girl, I really, I, I loved the Adams Family and the Monsters. And I couldn't decide which one I loved more, which I spent a lot of time thinking about that when I was a kid. And my ultimate conclusion was, well, I thought it would be really handy if the Adams family could live on one side of my parents' house and the Munsters could live on the other. So I could kind of go back and forth between the three residences at my leisure. So that was really my dream scenario when I was like seven. So. Uh, yeah, me too. Except I always thought um, Gomez was a little sexier than Herman Munster. Though. This is true. This is, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yes. Yeah. I kind of had a thing for Lurch. Oh my God. Okay. Yes. Lurch. They're, they're used to, <laughs> I mean, who didn't you right? Like <laughs> um, Lurch was so sexy. And then also I'll tell you some, some really deep dark, I mean, God only knows what would, you know, what anybody would say if I told this to like 
you know, a counselor or, or a psychiatrist or something, but I was absolutely in love with thing, but you know, the hands, because I like this personality. <laughs> and then it was like, I was like, it, it doesn't even have a face. And I was like, oh, but he's so dreamy. <laughs> I think that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, I was a strange kid. At one point I took, uh, you know, when I was a little girl, Cabbage Patch Kids were the big thing. And I took a Cabbage Patch Kid and put it in a wooden box and made my cousins file past it and made them play funeral with me. Of course. You know, God bless Huh? I said, of course you did. Of course I did. You know, God bless my mom and dad, because I have to say they are the most loving and supportive parents I could ever have asked for in a million years. And a lot of parents would have declared me super weird and probably been kind of horrified. But mine were like, well, if that's your passion, then go for it. If you like Dracula, we'll get you books at the library. If you like Frankenstein, all right, go watch Frankenstein movies. I mean, they didn't see it as bizarre. They just kind of let me be who I am. and just totally encouraged and embraced that. And I will forever be eternally grateful to them. And wait, didn't, didn't you either grow up by a cemetery, a different cemetery, or now your parents live, live at one? Kind of both actually. Um, I grew up, my, my dad worked at Love Field in Dallas and my mom worked in Fort Worth. I was born in Fort Worth. So we, my brother and I, we lived around the corner from Blue Bonnet Hills Cemetery in Colleyville, Texas, which looks absolutely nothing today like it did when I was a little girl. And my brother and I used to ride bikes in the cemetery. It was like around the corner down the street from our house. And that's where we learned to ride our bikes. And then my family moved to Georgia in 1997, and my mom and dad lived directly across from a cemetery in Georgia. And they're even on the death committee at the funeral committee at their church. So anytime someone at their church dies, my mom and dad plan the funeral dinner. So I joke with them that they're extremely on brand, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's rather <laughs> it's totally hereditary. My my brother and I used to play in the cemetery and ride our bikes too. This was in Connecticut at Indian Hills Cemetery. And it was this old giant like Victorian cemetery with like oh. really, really like dark shadows looking kind of like iron gates and you know, just amazing mausoleums and stuff. It was it was my um favorite cemetery until I discovered Hollywood Cemetery. And I'm calling it that now because when I first discovered it, that's that's what it was called. Um it was just um I think it was Hollywood Memorial Park, but when Memorial. I first found it in the seventies, oh, wow. it had fallen into such disrepair be before, like, um, you know, the people that have it now mm -hmm. had gotten it and like, you know, made it the most absolutely gorgeous place that it is. But it used to look like the, um, it used to look like a hammer horror film, you know, like oh, there'd be wow. like, like, like doors just, you know, like metal gates and doors hanging off the mausoleums. And you could see like, the coffins inside that looked like they'd been chopped up with like broken beer bottles and graffiti. I mean, oh, it was sad. That so that sad. part was really sad, but it was also kind of cool because I, I was a, you know, juvenile delinquent. <laughs> um, and the cemetery was never locked at night. So like uh, oh me and a bunch of other people used to go in there and hang out at night where I'm sure it was kind of dangerous. And I did have one dangerous experience in there, but, um, um, nothing bad wound up happening, but um, it was kind of like, I know this sounds like desecration and, and it probably was, but I was underage, you know? So um, we just used to hang out in there a lot. And like, I used to sleep on the island at 
uh, Hollywood Forever Cemetery. I used to bring my leopard sleeping bag there and stay overnight. Oh my gosh! Wow. And that, that I, very, I, huh? What? What were you saying? That must have been a very different world with a lot less crime and. Uh, oh, it was crime. way different. I mean, that oh, that was like. 40, over 40 years ago now, which is really horrifying to think. But the other thing I used to do, I just have to tell you this. I, like All the listeners already know I'm nuts. So <laughs> now now you get to find out. No, Okay, so you know the big um, Douglas Fairbanks monument? Oh, of course, yeah. Okay, so those, um, the vents, the little vents in his mausoleum now are like filled in, but they used to be open and you could see the, the coffin. And so... My favorite thing to do, and I really believed in this. I mean, this is this is insane. It was like I used to go over to the vents and squash my face into it sideways and just open my mouth and just go because <gasps> I thought I could like inhale movie star DNA and get and get it into myself. Funny. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, but so let's let's go on to more modern times Wait, and you I, I think I was talking about my origin story or something. Oh. I think. I, I, I derailed us like a train wreck. Okay, okay. Um, so anyway, I I, grew, I never lost my love of classic Hollywood or of film in general. And I, I got a film degree from what was then College of Santa Fe. And I moved to Los Angeles in the year 2000. And I visited the cemetery and just fell absolutely insanely in love with it, as I hope everybody does, whoever comes there. And I asked around and they didn't have a tour guide. And I just thought, well, you know, maybe that could be me. And I met with this historian named Mark Winnemaker. He's a mentor to me and he's terrific. And I met with him. I met with the owner of the cemetery, Tyler Cassidy, and uh, he gave me the green light. So I've been giving walking tours there several times a month since 2002, pandemic time notwithstanding. The, um, your tours are so great. Um, anybody that's listening to this that lives in Hollywood or comes through Hollywood, I highly recommend her tours. They're they're completely knowledgeable, and there's also just that um, that perfectly odd, crazy, amazing um, touch of Hollywood um, wildness to them. Um, not not. Not from Carrie herself, but just from all of the crazy stuff that happened, like all the old school scandals. And, and she knows all about it. And it's just amazing. And you also have a really incredible co-tour guide who I have the biggest crush on. So let, <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk about him. My boy. Um, well, about a year ago, I was um, my black Labrador had passed away. He was 13, but it was still just very devastating because that pup was my world. And... He was a black lab and about a month or two after his death, this black cat started showing up on my tour. And what he would do is he'd hear my voice and at the sound of my voice, he would run like crazy and jump on top of Cecil B. DeMille's crypt and he'd run up and down the crypt. And then he'd start following the tour. And I wasn't even giving him food at this point. And he would just follow me around. And I started calling him close up, like the line in Sunset Boulevard, I'm ready for my close up, Mr. DeMille. And plus, he loves the limelight. He loves attention. So it just seemed like a perfect name for him. And then I started petting him. And I was really kind of surprised when I did, because I've always been really allergic to cats. 
So I petted him and then I looked down at my hands. They were not red. They weren't blotchy. I wasn't sneezing. Like mysteriously, I wasn't allergic to this cat, which normally I would be. And so we kind of became buddies and he follows me around the cemetery. He's taken my tour, gosh, almost every week for like a year, except during, of course, my, my forced hiatus when the pandemic first hit. And um, I bring him food and I bring him treats and I scratch his head. And we've posed for uh, two different sessions with a portrait photographer. We've been featured on the um, Furry Friends episode of Hollywood Graveyard. And he's, he's my little sidekick. I love him so much. He's so handsome. I, I was introduced to him by, by his, um, his street name which <laughs> was Valentino. Um, there's a, for anyone that doesn't know about um, Hollywood Forever, there, there's like, it's a beautiful large cemetery and there's a number of ducks and swans and peacocks and there's lots, there's like at least three feral cat colonies there, but they're all very well taken care of by um, Luke's Paws and some other organizations and independent people so they're all super healthy and they're protected in the cemetery you know and like spayed and neutered too yeah 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 and, and vaccinated yeah. and vaccinated they get their yeah, babies got everything. All the time. but yeah so um anyway close up aka valentino is is the hottest number to stroll down santa monica boulevard in hollywood ever he's so handsome he's he so is. handsome i'm sure every girl or man wants to go in there and like just take him home because he's also so tame and he's he's smart and he really looks like a miniature black panther he does you know what's funny um i'm working on an idea if fingers crossed it can happen um i realize some of these caretakers actually pay out of their own wallets to feed the cats and that's got to add yeah. up considering the sheer number of them so i got this idea of doing a 12 months of close-up calendar I, i'm gonna see if it happens but i got uh, my pal diana lundine who's an incredible pet and portrait photographer to come down and take pictures. I had my friend Joanna Ramos, who is a Charlie, does a Charlie Chaplin impersonation that's incredible. I had a Santa Claus come out and we all came out really early on a Sunday morning to try to do this shoot. And when you're shooting a, a feral cat in a cemetery, you kind of don't quite know what's gonna happen. <laughs> I also posed like a professional for two hours straight for a session. I mean, what feral cat does that? I mean, yeah, he's he, so professional. It was, it was hilarious. He was ready for his close-up, like, <laughs> always. Like, he's um, so professional. In fact, when he saw me, he ran up and just started doing his thing. He's He's got such a neat personality. You just and Everybody that's taken the tour just took, falls in love with him. Oh, yeah. He's got, he's got his own Instagram, too. I'll, I'll make sure to put that um, in, the, in, the, in the notes here, because... If you guys see close up, you will fall in love too. So um, be careful petting him because he is a feral cat, and they can be very um, mercurial. But. Yeah, yeah, because um, because he's he's used to getting spoiled by the ladies. No, I'm just kidding. Um, he loves um, women. This is true. Let's take a little musical break for a second, and we will get right back to the fascinating Carrie Bible.
Hi again. So, um, let me ask you: Do you do you play favorites with graves at um, Hollywood Forever? Do you have a favorite grave there? Um, I really—that's kind of hard to say. I mean, I of course love Valentino very much, but I feel like a lot of love and affection for all of the stars there. If that makes any sense, like I feel close to them in the way that. Like I see their movies because I'm always studying film history, reading, watching movies, et cetera. And anytime I see their name in the credits, even if it's like the cinematographer or the the composer who I know is Hollywood Forever, I get all happy and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Harold Russon, the cinematographer. Like <laughs> I just feel like I, I I don't know how to say this without sounding bizarre, but whatever. Um, I just feel kind of bond with them, you know? Like yeah. I feel like it's kind of my job to help them live on in a way to help people discover their films, discover their work. I mean, like last summer I had two teenage boys email me and they were, they said they took my tour and they didn't know much about old Hollywood, but they wanted to learn and they were going to watch some of the movies I recommended. And I thought, okay, that's why I got out of bed this morning. That's why I did that tour. So it's really, I just feel like honoring them and helping them live on is, is the job. Yeah, that's really good. What's your, um, what's your, what's the favorite, um, or one of the favorite wild stories that you tell about one of the graves? Um, like the real life stories. Well, there's so many, I mean, God, uh, well, Virginia Rapace story is obviously very interesting, yeah. and that always is very a uh, kind of a profound story. As uh, she was the woman who died after the party thrown by Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle. One of the things I try to do on the tour is to kind of get people to see these 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 luminaries in perhaps a different light. And over the years, Virginia has been very badly tarnished and badly treated, and I think that that's really wrong headed and i feel like she deserves kindness she deserves dignity and she deserves to be treated like a human being which a lot of these accounts have not they sort of and this happens in high profile criminal cases of all varieties you know the victim is kind of treated like an afterthought and kind of like their story and their life doesn't really matter and it does yeah, like, like the black dahlia kind of because everyone's yeah, obsessed just, with her but like then they'll, they'll say she was just like a starlet slash prostitute or something they know? just they tarnish them and just treat them like their lives are inconsequential and i i think that's really terrible and wrong i mean these were human beings they were loved and they were real and i to me, I try to talk about Virginia's life, Virginia's achievements. And she was a fashion designer. She was a model. She was a world traveler. She wrote, or actually, um, excuse me, gave an interview to a newspaper about ways women could create jobs and opportunities. So she's kind of an independent, free-spirited young woman and definitely ahead of her time. But at the third trial in particular, Arbuckle's defense team went on the attack and they were calling her a drunk, a tramp, a whore saying she had venereal disease, had abortions, et cetera. Other than the drinking, which let's face it, a lot of people did, there's no evidence to back up those other allegations. It's a blame the victim strategy. We can, we can say what it was. It was, was it like a rape, it was a rape trial, yes? Uh, actually, it was murder. He, murder. Was, charged, right. he, was, yeah. he was charged with murder. 
Because she, she got peritonitis, is that right? She had a ruptured bladder. It was reduced right. down to manslaughter at the end of the day. And the thing about this case, too, and about a lot of things, is people kind of want really black and white, easy answers. And life is so gray and so complicated and so nuanced. And that case is as well. There's a lot of layers. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of historic uh, context. And so there's only one book that I recommend, and it's called Room 1219 by uh, Greg Merritt. And that's the only book I think that does this case any real justice. That and sounds wonderful. It's fair to Arbuckle. It's fair to Virginia. Like it's fair to both parties. And at the end of the day, there's um, a film preservationist and historian and doctor that I really respect named Tracy Gossel. And I asked her about this case and she thinks that um, it was a glass catheter, which is what they would have used at the time that burst Virginia's bladder and ultimately killed her. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I, I had heard like champagne bottle or whatever, you know, like. Yeah, but I think it's I think it's one of those things that we're never 100 percent going to get to the truth. We can get yeah. fairly close to the truth, but. Again, I think a lot of that information is is sort of lost to history. Yeah, I know that was such a, that was, I don't know as much about that case as you do, but I remember reading about it in Hollywood Babylon, like the first time I read it. And then I was oh, just- Kenneth Inger is awful. He's such a cruel person. And I kind a lot of, of like that, that bitchy queen stuff, but I mean, yes, I can totally see it. <laughs> yeah, he's really- um, it's it's really done a disservice though to a lot of all of those stars he wrote about because that what he said was most of it outright lies and people believe it and I feel like these people might have just been quote you know mere movie stars or sex symbols icons bombshells whatever but they were people and they deserve a measure of respect and dignity and truth and his books had none of that so it kind of creates a lot more work for people like myself who what I not you know want to tell the true story, and also I think the truth is more interesting anyway. No, you know? yeah, the truth is always interesting. I mean, especially also when Hollywood Babylon came out, there was no internet, so like if you read something like that, you you know, when the first edition was out, you'd have to be like, oh, this must be true, you know, unless you you know had time to go to a library that might have like you know film books or like movie archives and try to find that out but um so let, let's talk some more about um could tell tell people that don't live in LA or haven't been to Hollywood forever about Mel Blank's grave because that just cracks me up <laughs> oh it's a headstone and it says at the top that's all folks which is appropriate Mel was the voice of the Looney Tunes Bugs Bunny Porky Pig Peppy Le Pew Foghorn Leghorn etc so and it's always covered with toys. I love that. Yeah, people love, even leave carrots there sometimes too for Bug Bunny. <laughs> but the irony is, uh, Mel Blank was allergic to carrots. Oh really? Oh my god! Yeah. That's hilarious. But maybe if it, maybe now that he's dead, since you're not allergic to cats anymore with close up, maybe he's not allergic to the carrots that get left on his grave. Stranger things have been known to happen. What can I say? Um. Let's take another break for a song and we will come right back with Carrie Bible.
again um so i gotta ask you about a couple of other things tell me uh, tell me um the nosferatu story you were you were sort of alleging to oh yeah and well you know how i was born halloween night well apparently my mom's original due date with me was october 15th and i didn't show up and i don't know why they did this but they just waited and waited and waited and then they um, tried to induce labor on October 31st. So my mom had to basically sit around for quite a while to wait on me to get here. And I was still wasn't coming out. And finally, after an emergency C-section, I was born. And my dad told me that apparently the fingernails are the final thing to grow on a baby. And then when I was born, I had these giant long claws because that was like the last thing to grow when I was in there for so much extra time. And I'm really bummed nobody took a picture of that because I would love to see a picture of myself as like Nosferatu baby. I think that's awesome. I know if you, if you, if you were the mom that gave birth to that, I know that there, you would like waste a lot of your iPhone storage on that. And so would I. <laughs> yeah. They didn't have iPhones at the time. I, I was, no, no, but I know you had to like ration out your pictures, but I still would have yeah. taken a picture of, if you would have had like like giant Nosferatu nails and you were and my I was baby. born with I was born with blue eyes and then when I was seven months old my mom came into my crib and one of my eyes was brown and no one in my family on either side has brown eyes. So I wound up going to a ton of doctors and they said I was okay and that I could see. They they just don't know what happened. And then when I was seven a piece of brown appeared at the top of my blue eye. I had to go to another round of doctors and they told me that I might change, but then it never did. So I have two different colored eyes. Wow. That's like, that's like David Bowie DNA right there. Yeah. It's, it's pretty awesome. Actually. I, I love it. Now you've got, you've got, you've got many attributes that I'm insanely jealous of, not the least of which is close up Valentino. <laughs> Oh, well, he loves you too. I've seen your pictures with I him. We can be sister wives. But but you can be you can be the main woman. I'll just I'll just be like the visiting side piece every so often. <laughs> I'm all about sharing the love. I, you know, as many people that can love him, I mean, that's that's cool. I don't want to hog anything to myself. So, um, have you ever seen a ghost at Hollywood Forever? You know, I haven't. I get that question asked pretty often, and here's here's my take on this issue. Um, I'm of the opinion that if ghosts exist, they're going to show up in a place that had to do with their life and not where they wound up being buried. So I think actually they wouldn't come to a cemetery. And I've had several of the ghost reality show people take the tour. And I just kind of, I don't know, they'll have their equipment and they'll think they heard or saw something. And I just don't think ghosts are like dogs and they come running when they call you call their name. I just don't think it works like that. Like if they exist, they're going to show up at three in the morning when you get up in the middle of the night and have to pee. 
that's when they're going to visit you. That's exactly, exactly right. Uh. The one ghost story I have actually that has, has, has nothing to do with the cemetery. If, if you want to hear it, that is. Of course. Okay. Yes. I want to hear all about it. I love silent movies. It's one of my great passions. And when I first moved to LA in the year 2000, the silent movie theater was open like five, six nights a week. And I would go almost all the time. And that place became, was haunted. Yeah. I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. Yeah. I was, I'm friends with Dave who at the time was the projectionist and on Saturday nights, we kind of had a routine. Dave would show the movie, I'd watch it, and then he'd he'd clean up, rewind the film, and then he and I would walk down to Cantor's and have like a late night Saturday dinner, you know? And that was like our thing. And so one time I was waiting on him and I was sitting in the projection booth. The whole theater was locked up like Fort Knox. We were the only people in there. And for those of you who aren't familiar, the former owner, Lawrence Austin, was shot in the head and murdered in the late 1990s. The concession stand girl was shot, but she recovered and they caught the man who did it. He is in prison now. And uh, the man who hired him uh, also is in prison. In any case, uh, there have been all these rumors throughout the years that Lawrence Austin haunted the silent movie theater. And there were all sorts of stories about bizarre things happening, bizarre sounds. One of them was uh, doors opening and closing shut. Another one was you could hear his keys rattling on his, he wore a big clump of keys on his belt and he'd walk up and down the aisles, you know, or the lobby during the films and you could hear rattling all sorts of stories. And I never gave credence to these things. Again, I'm kind of, you know, never give it credence. Well, one Saturday night, I'm in the projection booth, Dave's rewinding the movie and we hear this really loud key rattle. And he's every bit as skeptical as me and we both freeze. And our eyes are huge and we're just staring at each other. And Dave goes, Carrie, where did you put your car keys? I said, Dave, they're in my purse. He goes, where did you put your purse? And I said, the other side of the room. And he goes, you get that purse and run like hell. And he dropped and the film's like unspooling all over the floor. We slammed the theater door shut and ran down to canters like there were flames coming out of our butts or something. And it was so freaky because that was undeniably something, you know, and I don't believe in, I'm very, very skeptical. So for me and my friend, we were both really unnerved by that. No, there was, um, I, I hadn't, uh, I've had a, I've had a few like ghost experiences. Well, actually, I've had a lot of them. Um, but I, the most recent one I had was at Hollywood Forever in the um, in the Valentino the whatever the big columbarium where Valentino is in the cathedral mausoleum. Yeah, the the mausoleum. So um, we were in there. I was in there with um, a friend of mine and. Um, we were standing there taking a selfie because the the lights of the stained glass windows were so beautiful. It was late in the afternoon oh, yeah. and you couldn't really tell where we were except that you could see stained glass behind us. And then it's, it sounded like a bunch of rattling at my feet, you know? And, and um, I was like, what is that? And, and he was like, what, what do you mean? What is that? And I was like, what's that noise? And he goes, oh, I thought you made it. And then he's like, wait, you didn't make it? And I was like, no. And then we were just really quiet and it happened again. And it wasn't like a, I mean, it wasn't like a small thing. It sounded, but it sounded like a bunch of like, um, like maybe like metal balls or something rolling around in a bag. It was like, it was like really, 
It was really a noise. And there was no you know one cleaning in or near there. You know what it could be? This is what? just speculation. Um, there is a very large feral cat colony, and they yeah. are right behind and underneath that mausoleum. Oh, it could have been underneath. You're right. Because whenever whenever I see and whenever I've gone, I do I do paranormal investigations. Always the first thing we have to do is rule out anything mundane. Like I mean, I want to believe in ghosts as as much as a lot of people do. And and I've actually seen some, so I do believe them. But if you're hearing a noise or if you think you see something, you always have to like look at where the light is or what could be, you know, causing the noise. Like was it a heater? Is there is there like pipes there? You know? Yeah. Well they're doing a big construction project right behind that mausoleum as well. So a lot of that area right now is fenced off and so um, Or like unstable maybe like it could have been like like rocks moving or something. Yeah. But that was that was just creepy though that we were the only people in there at that point. And then (laughs) when I was very first um practicing before I started my first tours for the public back in 2002, I would spend a lot of time on Saturdays and Sundays, just getting to know the cemetery where everything was the lay of the land. And I was um, near the front of the cemetery behind the flower shop area. And I accidentally somehow got locked into one of those mausoleums late in the afternoon by myself. Oh my God. Um, And I'm claustrophobic and cell phones, by the way, do not work well in mausoleums. So I was just screaming and trying to get out and I finally got out, but oh my gosh, that was, that was really scary. Wow. That's wild. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. Um, so tell us, um, tell us in the listening audience about what you are going to be doing for the next, um, for the next few weeks, even though some of you guys are going to be listening to this podcast well after this is over, I do just want to mention this to people right now in the now, because we are in the middle of October or the beginning. It's Halloween season. So Carrie is doing something super cool at Hollywood forever. Well, um, I was given permission to do a limited edition nighttime tour and it's going to start at seven and go until nine or nine 30 and it's going to, we have to stay on the, on the pavement. I can't get onto the grass cause it's night and you know, I have to be safe and all that. And it's going to be kind of a lot of, there'll be a little bit of overlap from my daytime tour, but there's going to be a lot of new people on it, new information on it, different parts of the cemetery that I don't get to on the daytime tour. Of course it'll be at night. Um, I'm encouraging people to bring flashlights, but I'll have some as well. And it's really going to, I think, be really interesting. It's a really kind of a, a nighttime moonlit view of the cemetery. So I'm actually is, really excited about it. That is so good. So that I will, um, I'm just going to announce it, but it will be in the episode description uh, description too. That is um, cemeterytour.com. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for book it. Um, that is going to be a hot ticket, I tell you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm I, I, because of the pandemic, I have to keep the groups really small. So it's going to be like 10 people or less, but I feel very fortunate to even still be getting to give tours because so many of my colleagues do bus tours or van tours or walking tours of places like Hollywood Boulevard or downtown, which you can't really do right now considering, you know, what's going on. So I, I feel extremely fortunate and grateful that I'm still able to keep going. 
Yeah. And I got to say that the other day when I went on your tour, you had on a really stunning vampire mask. I didn't. I'm trying to keep my mask very on point. I have a Valentino one, a Vampira one, an Estelle Getty Golden Girls one, a Judy Garland one. And this incredible artist actually sent me a hand-painted peacock face mask as well. So trying to keep my masks really um, appropriately attuned to my work. To the cemetery, especially, yeah. Wow. Um, what um, what else shall we talk about? Like, what? Tell me, um, what kind of music do you like? And what was your first concert? Since um, this is so also supposed to be a music podcast, but I got so fascinated <laughs> oh, <thank you. laughs> with all we the honest- ghosty graveyard stuff. I told you what my first concert was. Your fans would probably tar no, and run me Don't out of town. Shame. Don't have any shame. You lead a cemetery tour and you were born with claws on Halloween. You can this like whatever you, you can like whatever you want. It's so embarrassing. I I can't. My okay, wait, let me guess. Was it like new kids on the block? Yes. Ah, <laughs> really? Wait, oh, hashtag. I'm psychic. I'm psychic. You are. I wait, was like 15 really? years old. It really so. was? It really was. I was like 15 or something. And I had to like beg my mom and my friend because my friend and I wanted to go. And it was like at Reunion Arena in Dallas, Texas. So it's kind of a big deal because they didn't have cell phones back then. So to get your mom to drop you off at like something like the Staples Center type place and then meet you at a place in the parking lot. You know what I mean? It was like that's a big deal. No one would do that now for sure. I know that would never happen today and not today's world. But at the time, my mom said yes, and my friend and I went, and I had my we had new kids teach. Oh God, I, I better be quiet or I'm never gonna ever be able to show my face again, ever. She's I no, I, wait, you've got you've got so much dead cred right now that you don't <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. Dead cred. I can I use that, please? Oh yeah, that can be your tagline. It's the girl with the day cred. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome. Um, trying to think. Uh, I like all sorts of stuff, but um, I live in a 1920s apartment. I wear vintage clothes from like the 20s to the 50s. So I feel kind of like I'm a lot older than my physical body in a lot of ways. So I tend to like a lot of older things, like older music from the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Um, There is some modern stuff I like and some that I just have absolutely no clue what it is whatsoever. So I don't either. I mean, like, I'm I'm just going ahead and saying this on the air. Some of the new stuff that comes out, I was like, what? What is that? Like my nephew is eight and he asked me to join him on TikTok and I created an account and I looked at it and I'm like, I am the Crypt Keeper. I am like a hundred years old. My gosh. Because I hear all those songs on there and I just feel so ancient. Oh, man. Yeah, you're literally the Crypt Keeper. Once I'm again, with your dead cred. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Speaking of that, um, when I go home to Georgia, I take my nephew to cemeteries and he loves it. We walk around a Bonaventure Cemetery in Savannah together and he's really good at math, which I am horrendous at. So I just walk around pointing at graves and I go, all right, Jack, when they die, when did they die? What year? What, how old were they? And he just looks at them and immediately tells me how old everybody was when they died. And oh, that's, um, yeah, that's like the rain man. 
he's really I, he's a smart kid and i've um i take him to cemeteries and oh oh this is i i am um, actually uh picked out my own grave this year that's kind of uh something oh yeah yeah um at hollywood forever right yeah the pandemic has really i think forced a lot of people to reflect on a lot of major things in life and you know i'm by myself my family lives three thousand miles away i've got a ton of friends but you know what i mean i started thinking like if something heaven forbid happened to me my family would be in a real bind because they wouldn't really know what to do who to call where to go you know what i mean and yeah. so I started thinking about it and I thought, you know what, I need to make a death plan so I can leave like a detailed roadmap of, okay, here's where my stuff goes. Here's where I want things. Here's where I want to be interred. And so I have um, a grave already picked out at the cemetery. I signed my own cremation order, which was a little surreal, but I did. Wow. So where's your, where is your grave? I want to know it. Or just, you don't have to say exactly, but is it? Yeah, it's not too far from Griffith J. Griffith. There's a little octagonal bank of outdoor niches with a fountain in the middle. Oh, it's yeah. Really oh, I know where that is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of off the beaten path. And that's uh, what I felt like. I got, um, I, I could have selected from a lot of different places. I originally thought I wanted to be near Valentino. But then when I started looking at the, if you will, real estate, I just didn't feel, it didn't quite feel right. But then when I saw the outdoor niches and I saw the view and the fountain and the flowers around it, I just, it just felt right. If, if that makes any sense. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's a personal choice. Like if you're getting buried by your family, you don't have a choice, but you could, you could decide where you want it to be. And then you could, and then you could haunt it and still give tours. <laughs> That's right. Right. I think you better do that. You need to do that. You need to also like, um, you need to have a haunting outfit picked out. So you have to get, oh, you're getting cremated though, but we can, it should be, it should be like hangings. You should get like the future people at Hollywood Cemetery to keep it around for you in case you want to slip into something more comfortable as you glide <laughs> over it. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I told my nephew, I said, um, that when I die, my will needs to be read at midnight and he's going to have to spend the night in a haunted house in order to inherit my things. Oh, this is so good. I want to be your nephew or your niece now. Huh? I said, I wish I was your nephew or your niece. <laughs> he was actually pretty on board with the plan. I mean, he's only eight, mind you. So if I yeah, die, what like you were like, like when you were little, it's the same gene pool. <laughs> Yeah, and if if I die when he's like an adult, he's gonna be like, oh geez, that wacky weird aunt of mine. Oh my gosh, like he's probably gonna roll his eyes if I if I die much much later in life. It won't be as fun and cool as it probably sounds to him right now. But you are the crazy auntie. That that's my that's my job too. <laughs> I love it because I have fun with him, and then if he tosses his cookies or whatever i don't have to deal with that so being an aunt is like the absolute perfect gig for my personality i love it he's a good yeah guy. that's fantastic um okay do you have anything coming up like in the um any don't, don't you have some books or a book out or um... i co-wrote two books um one of them is called location filming in los angeles it came out oh gosh 10 years ago and the other one where did i put it Oh, it's somewhere. Um, 
It's called Hollywood Celebrates the Holidays, and it's pinup stars and publicity photos of movie stars at Halloween, Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's. Um, that one started because I actually started collecting photos of movie stars celebrating Halloween just for, for fun, basically. And my good friend, um, film historian Mary Mallory, she collected all the other holidays. And we're friends, you know. And one night we were talking about our collections and we said, I wonder if anybody's done a book about these photos. And then after looking into it, it turned out no one had. And so we kind of looked at each other and we're like, well, you know, we have to do this. So I spent like three and a half years working on that book, believe it or not. And uh, that came out a few years ago and we might do a sequel. I'm not sure we're still collecting photos, but um, I have a lot of book ideas, but I kind of go back and forth between, oh, writing a book is awful. I'll never do it again to, oh, hey, I've got like three proposals. So it just kind of depends on what day you, you catch me, I guess. <laughs> I think you should have a reality show. <laughs> You know, what's funny, though, is over the years, I've had producers contact me or meet with me. And a lot of times I'm not what they really want. Like, I'm not a ghost person. I mean, it's interesting and all, but it's really not like my thing in terms of my work. And that's kind of what they want. And the minute I tell them, I think the real history is so fascinating. I don't think it needs the ghost. They're just like, OK, yeah. got to go. Bye. And. I kind of feel like, oh, well, okay. Or one time this uh, TV crew begged to see my apartment and I kept saying, I don't see why that's necessary. That you've, You're taking my tour. Why do you need to see where I live? And they insisted. And when they saw it, they walked. Uh, finally, I caved in. I let them come over. They looked around and one of them goes, oh, wow, it's really clean. <laughs> and the other one said, yeah, and it's nice. I think they thought, okay, she lives in like mounds of dirt and sleeps in a casket and her places grow. I mean, I think they had a certain yeah. like thing in their brains and I wasn't that thing, you know? So I think a lot of the TV show things, they just don't know how to deal with someone that doesn't fit the mold like me, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. Really yeah. Sure. I had a pilot um, a few years back. Um, it was, um, a show where my pitch was that I'm like a female vintage clad Anthony Bourdain only instead of food around the world, I go to cemeteries all over the globe and like interview people and explore the cemeteries, et cetera. And we made a sizzle reel, which is like a three or four minute kind of mini pilot. And this was a big TV production company and they shopped it around and no one picked it up. And then I never heard from them anymore. Wow. They'd probably, people would probably want it now. Try I'll send again. you a link if you want to watch it. Tell me oh, what yeah, you think. I totally um, want to watch yeah. it. I completely um, want to watch it. In the sizzle reel, since I, people know me for Hollywood Forever, we kind of decided to go in a different direction and do something that's different. So we went up to Oakland to the cemetery. Oh, which oh was I love that cemetery. Yeah, this isn't the one where the dolly is out, though. This is a different oh. one. And I stood at the grave of all the people who, a lot of the people who died at Jonestown, who Jim Jones wow. basically who laid. So I stood at their grave at like four in the morning and shot, we shot this sizzle reel and it was, it was a really intense, interesting experience to say the least. So I'll my, send you My band you used to do, we used to do um, shows at the, at the temple, at the, at the Jonestown, at that, where they had that before they went to Guyana in San oh Francisco after, after it was um, Jim Jones's, it was a, um, it was a punk club for a while. Wow. 
That yeah. was sad, horrific. Ugh. No, that was crazy. I know. A mass. It's really, of- you know, it's really powerful to stand at a grave to me because that you're standing at what is essentially the punctuation mark at the end of the sentence of that person's life. Like no matter what they did, what they achieved, where they went, who they loved, you know, whatever, that life on earth came to an end and that spot is the end. That's again, it's the punctuation mark at the end of the sentence. And I find that there's something really profound about that. You know? Yeah. What's your, um, what's your favorite cemetery in the world? That's not Hollywood forever. I have two. Um, my friend Olivier took me to Pierre Lachaise in Paris. That's, I love that one. I love that one. Yeah. I spent an entire day there. I've also been to the cemeteries in Montparnasse and Montmartre in Paris. Yeah. Me too. I'm sorry. I said, me too. I love them. They're so beautiful. And then two years ago, I don't know if your your fans probably listen to Caitlin Doty. She uh, does the Ask a Mortician videos on YouTube. She's like a huge New York Times bestselling author. She had an event called Death Salon that she used to do. And it would be these three-day symposiums about different aspects of funerals, dying, and death. So two years ago, I attended an event called Death Salon. Uh, many of your Fans may be familiar with Caitlin Doty. She is a New York Times bestselling author. She does the YouTube video series, Ask a Mortician. And she's really a leader of what is called the death positive movement. And she had this like three-day conference in Massachusetts at Mount Auburn Cemetery. And it was about different aspects of death, dying, funerals, the history of it all. And my friend Jenny and I went and Mount Auburn Cemetery was spectacular. I'd never been to New England before and the leaves were changing. There was a soft rain falling. I got to take a tour of the Mount Auburn Cemetery. And on Saturday night during the death conference, they had an Edward Gorey ball. So I'm dressed up like a big bat walking through the candlelight of a cemetery and going into a candlelit mausoleum with my friend for a party. And I was like, this is the greatest night of my life. Like, it just doesn't get happier than, than this. So um, Mount Auburn was exquisitely beautiful. So after Hollywood Forever and then Pierre Lachaise, I would probably put Mount Auburn as my number three. Yeah. But honestly, I love cemeteries. Anytime I'm lucky enough to get to travel, I try to visit cemeteries in other countries because I think it's a fascinating thing to see, uh, to learn about culture, to learn about history, to learn about even design and architecture. There's so many things I think you can get from visiting a cemetery. Yeah. Have you been to um, the one in Glasgow, the big giant one in Glasgow? Not yet. Not yet. Oh, it's so good. You would you would lose your mind. It's a, it looks like Bucket list. Yeah, it's so good. And then also you need to go. I'm telling you this not only because I'm um one of my jobs is being a belly dancer, but you need to go to the Valley of the Kings. If you want to see cemeteries. Oh yeah. Like, oh my God. It's so incredible. I mean, the first time I went into one of those tombs. I was looking around and um, I, I can't, I can't I think it was Hot Shepsut. I might be wrong, but I, cause I can't, I'd have to check my notes cause I'd been in and out of them so much with the whole entire, like inside of it was the whole ceiling was painted with the goddess Newt, who's the God of night with like stars and stuff. And we had had to come down all these long stairs. It was total Boris Karloff and the mummy. 
And I was looking around and I was there by myself at one point because this was the first time I went there was 1990. It was a really long time ago. And and the thing that popped into my head because of LA, I, I like just looked around and I was like, wow, they did such a good job on this. And then there was a second that I was like, yeah, 3000 years ago. <laughs> well, it was, was it a catacomb? What? Was it a catacomb? No, this was like one of the, um, this was one of the, the, the um, sarcophagus, like the, 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 the underneath graves. I don't know if technically that's a catacomb because I've had catacombs or tunnels, but this Here's was one problem. of the ones. It's, oh, have you been to the catacombs in Paris too? Those are amazing. Did you go to those? No, I am very, very claustrophobic, like badly so. I tried to go oh. to the catacombs in Malta, and the ones in Malta, you cannot even stand upright. So you have to bend over and crouch to walk through. Oh, in Paris, they're bigger. You would probably be okay in it because I, the line I started almost- crying in Malta. I cried and I had to leave and I had kind of a meltdown. So I'll send you some pictures of it because they're actually pretty yeah, big. I'll look at the pictures. But the, the, the designs that they made with the bones are incredible. And I have to say that as I was, it's so far underground. The first time I went, I was like walking down all these steps and it gets colder and colder and colder as you go down there. And um, and then like by, I don't even know what story we were on. I was like snapping my fingers and going, you give me femur. <laughs> anyway, we should, we should probably wrap up this episode, sadly. But um, do you have anything else you want to say to our lovely listeners, or um, any 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 la- any last thoughts you want to leave them with? No. Um, I guess you know one thing that I feel like I get from being in a cemetery a lot. I don't know if, if you feel this way as well. You might, but is that I feel an intense appreciation for my life. Because oh, yeah. even the graves that are not famous, when I walk by them, I think, wow, that person didn't see that train coming, that car coming. They didn't know that plane would explode. They didn't know they'd get an illness. Like, I just have a lot of these stories, you know, rattling around in my head. And I just think, you know, even when I have a bad day, I'm still here and I'm alive. And I'm really incredibly grateful. For that and I don't want to take that for granted I think maybe because of the pandemic and a lot of things that have been going on there's a lot of stuff I think I took for granted that I didn't know would not be there right I, I think a lot of people with, did. I miss seeing movies with my friends in a theater so badly I can't stand it because that's a huge part of my life when we had the wildfires and the air quality in the skies were like gray orange i will never take the blue sky for granted ever again for the rest of my life so i feel like i just have this incredible overwhelming appreciation for my life and for every good thing in it and that's kind of the takeaway i get from uh spending a lot of time in a cemetery yeah i i i feel a lot the same about the cemeteries and um especially hollywood forever and also hollywood forever is so full of life with all the the swans and the ducks and the cats and the beautiful flowers and all the people walking through it, whether they're mourners or family members or tourists. I mean, it's just got 
It's got the most gorgeous, peaceful vibe there. Anytime I need, I mean, I'm lucky because I live so close to it. Anytime I need a reset, I go there and it just changes my energy immediately. It's so, it's so beautiful. It's a magical place. And it really is an urban oasis right in the middle of Hollywood. It's just so incredibly beautiful, peaceful. And yeah, it's, it's positively teeming with, with life. Yeah, that's great. I'm going to all start crying now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, um, it was so fantastic to talk to you. You too. Yay. And also, I'll see you down there sooner or later um, with, with your boyfriend who I'm in love with. Um, My little baby, close up. It's so funny because when I first started posting about him, I'd get so many people being like, you have to adopt. And I said, you know what? He would hate being cooped up. Even if I had a lot more space, he would hate it. Like he's a free spirit. And I totally understand that, you know, like. Oh, he's safe in there. And and when you, if, if anyone ever goes to Hollywood forever and you see him, like, especially if you're going on one of Carrie's tours, he comes running from the far end of the cemetery and it, it looks like the way that he runs and he's so black, he not only looks like a rip in the space and time continuum, but like yeah. he moves like a pan he moves like a panther and he just like yeah. he bounds and he's so happy and then he just joins the tour and like charms everybody. I, it was funny because a few weeks ago on the tour, there's actually like three black cats there and there's another black cat. It's named Jet. Well, it's, it's got several names, but one of them is Jet. Well, Jet is kind of another black cat has kind of started seeing close up, get the attention and deciding that he wants a little slice of the pie. So about two weeks ago on the tour, Jet shows up on the tour. So I've got two black cats following me <laughs> on the tour. As one of my friends said, Salem back in the day would have been a big disaster for me. But, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah right? I would have been burned at the stake, too. We both <laughs> Yeah, it wouldn't have been good. But, um, so I had two black cats following me. And then Close Up just decided enough was enough. So he kind of pounced on the doppelganger. And they started hissing and swiping. And one of the ladies on my tour was like, this is so fun. This is like two shows for the price of one. I love it. So. <laughs> It's kind of like a cat fight where there's sort of a tour going on, you know, in the middle of it. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, you you have a really wondrous and spooky Halloween season, which for you, I know, is like like all year round. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah, same here. Um, so anyway, it was fabulous to talk to you. ladies and gentlemen. That was Carrie Bible. Yes, it's her real name. Yes, she was born on Halloween. Yes, she is the most fabulous cemetery tour guide that walks the earth as a living person. <laughs> Bye, you guys. See you next episode. My eyes beheld an eerie sight For my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly, to my surprise He did the match He did the monster match The monster match It was a graveyard smash He did the match It caught on in a flash He did the match
did the monster mash From my laboratory in the castle east To the master bedroom where the vampires feast The ghouls all came from their humble abodes To get a jolt from my electrode They did the The Devil's Music is written and hosted by Pleasant Gaiman. Produced by Aaron Alden. All sound design by Jerry Danielson of Busy Signal Studios. And of course, is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at pantheonpodcasts.com. Our social presence is at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found wherever you get great music. Please pick up these important and fantastic tracks. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.